What did you eat for breakfast? What did I eat for breakfast? I don't eat breakfast. I had, what did I have for lunch? I had chicken stew, I think I had for lunch. Leftover chicken stew. There you go. Welcome to Music on Your Own Terms, the podcast that aims to help musicians develop an entrepreneurial mindset through interviews, as well as discussing resources, concepts, successes, and more. Providing a platform to talk about negative emotions such as anxiety and depression in order to help overcome them in the context of music and reduce the social stigma. This is episode 90. Sponsored by the Skinny Armadillo Printing Company in Fort Worth, Texas, offering screen printing, embroidery, laser engraving, and a range of other services. Go to theskinnyarmadillo.com to learn how they can help you get your merch business to the next level. I'd really appreciate it if you would leave a review on iTunes, because that really helps the podcast get in front of more people just like you who want to learn from the successes, strategies, and failures of artists and entrepreneurs that I talk to. I really feel that the information coming from those guests is exceedingly valuable for the musicians community and anyone wanting to pick up tips from other people's experiences. For this episode, I sit down for a chat with composer, teacher, and multi-instrumentalist Craig Dodge. Craig talks about his work with film, TV, video game music, and sound design, getting your tracks on music libraries, teaching in a local college that is affiliated with Berklee School of Music, and also his video-based course, where he teaches you how to build multiple streams of income doing what he does with the Ignite Your Music Career program. We learn how Craig got into music in the first place, how he figured out how to build the career he has now, and what his ethos about life and passing his knowledge on to other musicians is all about. Not only is Craig a great guy to have a conversation with, but he has a plethora of knowledge to share with anyone who needs help. This podcast has been instrumental in being able to connect with some really cool people, and Craig is definitely one of those people. This time around, for my suggested artist, I've decided to feature a previous guest, Mika Tiska, also known as Mr. Fastfinger. If you haven't listened to my interview with Mika, definitely go check out episode 9 of the podcast. I first discovered Mika from a mini-interview video where Mr. Fastfinger the character interviewed John Petrucci of Dream Theatre. As you'll hear in the interview, Mika was responsible for some of the animations Dream Theatre have used on tour. From there, I started listening to the Mr. Fastfinger albums and became hooked on his playing, melodies and ideas he was using in his music. Mika has definitely become one of my favorite guitar players, and it's been a privilege to become personally acquainted with him. If you like the music you hear, go give him some love on social media. And if you're interested in taking lessons, he is available via Skype as well. Oh, this was a very good jam.
Here's my chat with Craig. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today I'm joined by Craig Dodge, who is a film, TV, video game composer, and he, he also runs a, a music coach business, um, Ignite Your Music Career, that teaches people to get their uh, get their music into sound libraries, and we'll definitely touch on that um, in the interview. So how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. This is, uh, it's great to talk to other like-minded individuals right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we're all kind of stuck away. So yeah, if you could just uh, elaborate on my intro there, just you know, describe your day-to-day business and, you know, what you do? Sure. Well, I've got a couple of businesses. Uh, one that's been going for about 12 or 15 years, I guess, roughly now. I write music for about 150 different television shows across the world. So I work with the Premier League in England. I work for, you know, BBC, CNN, uh, Disney, uh, MSNBC, pretty much anything that's out there I, I write music for. I've got my music's in about a thousand different TV shows. I've had it placed for licensing. Um, and that's uh, the Terrace Studio business. I've also scored 27 films and uh, I've done sound design and music, composed music for 45 video games. So nice. so it's kind of a fun thing. So today I was actually sitting in the studio. Uh, this is part of the studio here. And I was writing some music for some marimba kind of tension music for some crime shows. And so, yeah, so I work with a bunch of different people all over the world. Uh, I've done sound packs for splice um but yeah i just i mean i live in a very small place in, in canada prince Edward island uh which is uh, the birthplace of canada and mm-hmm. uh we've got about one hundred fifty thousand people on this island in the kind of about eight or nine hours away from maine drive from maine okay so i do that and i teach i i, I actually have berkeley creds to my name i got a, a special certificate in orchestration and writing game music um I also have a degree in classical guitar and musicology, and I actually teach at a Berkeley-affiliated school in Canada. I teach music licensing, uh, music marketing, music business, music composition, and um, also the finer points of being in a studio and how to write and that sort of thing. So that's that's kind of one business. Sure. Uh, the other business is something we launched uh, in June that started out as a book about three years ago because I've, I've helped thousands and thousands of people um, earn more money with their music. You know, through royalties, placements, um, you know, all these different ways that you can earn money today, uh, which a lot of people don't know about. And um, a lot of people have one or two or three revenue streams as an artist or a musician or a singer or a songwriter. But I've got about 40 different revenue streams that pay me constantly. Mm. Um, So it started out as a book. And I realized when I started teaching, I was at the university teaching for a year um, and then I or a half year. And then I was asked to come into this Berkeley affiliated school and, and redesign all the business courses because Berkeley's first mandate in 1945 was to actually, um, the mandate of the school is to have self-sustaining musicians. So not, mm. not musicians that go looking for grants and government this and assistance and that sort of thing. So they want me to go in and redo all the curriculum on that side. And I did, and I loved it. And I realized very quickly that the book option is probably not the best way to convey the message. Yeah. And I've been helping people that have sold millions of records, and some people are just starting out. So I, I've had this in development for the last six or eight months before the pandemic started, and I thought I'm going to go more towards a video kind of routine on demand, so that people have busy lives and they have time on their hands, only little bits. And sure. and um, so we started this ignite your music career thing, and uh, it's the same concept as the book it's just done in, in smaller segments once a week lessons come out they get free samples to and sound packs to help you know kind of be creative and i know i always like 
when, for, when I get stuff, new VSTs or new sound packs, it makes me more mm -hmm. creative, right? Oh, yeah. My hard drive's like yeah, exactly. starting to, to, to yell at me saying, yeah, I think you need to delete some stuff. Yeah, so I give out 100, over 100 or $150 worth of those every week to yeah. all our members, and uh, which is great. Um, so then they get tools that I use, and they I, I have these video lessons, and it explains how they can do this, how they can get this revenue stream, how they can repurpose their music. A lot of people don't understand repurposing. But the whole goal is to make as much money as you can out of every second mm. of your of your music. So I know the next lesson, you know, Disney uses my music for seven seconds in one of their cartoon shows. And it's been paying me for 10 years. So seven seconds, right? But you know what the important thing about that is? It's the, it's the money, obviously, that's recurring because you're going to get paid for the rest of your life. But it's the fact that Disney is using it, for example, right? That's that's important. Right. Or, or MSNBC or CNN or whoever it might be. Uh, so this Ignite program, we've got members on four continents. We launched on June 15th. Um, yeah, it's great. And we've got such cool successes. I think our youngest member is a killer songwriter uh, from Washington State who's 13 years old. It's nuts. Wow. Yeah. And then we have, awesome. yeah, we have some other members who are just are bonafide rock stars who have back catalogs. And now they can't figure out, you know, how am I going to make money in a pandemic? So mm. So basically, it's timely uh, that way. And uh, like I said, it was well before the pandemic hit. But now it seems to be even more timely for people to make more money with your music. So a lot of people get really narrow focused on their music. Like, oh, I want to, you know, not, I don't understand the revenue streams or the, and I don't mean streams as, you know, Spotify streams. I mean, different sure. places, right? So my every time I walk into my studio, like this morning, you know, I've already got 40 or 50 different places I can send that music. And then I've got, you know, I work with Unity Game Engine, Unreal Engine, mm -hmm. and, and I package it again and repurpose it. And that's the concept. You, you take you take everything that you've got and you make the most out of it. And it's a lot different than the old days, right? People still put out a single like, oh, I'm dropping this single next week. Well, they have no marketing plan. They have no concept of it. They have no way of tracking it. So I give them all the tools to do all that stuff. And um, it's really helping people a lot. So absolutely, yeah. Um, and and I think the the first one of the first um, things that really key, clued me in to this alternate like way of releasing music. Um, I mean, I'm a follower of CD Baby's blog, you know, blogs and their podcast, but mm -hmm. um, the kind of real world realization. I was I was around at a friend's house and they were watching the football game. Um, and you know, NFL is obviously a big user of graphics and music and stuff like that. And I heard this music at like, it was in uh, the intro to the, to the commercial break. And I'm like, hold on. I know that song. And it turned out to be an Australian guitar player called Pliny. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Pliny's, um, you know, amazing guitar player. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I think he, uh, has quite, a a minimalist lifestyle to be able to afford to come to the US and tour and stuff but that's separate topic but you know just just the fact that an Australian you know um rock metal guitar player that has instrumental music and actually only has one album and, and a, a handful of singles is is making money with the NFL yep. tells you all you need to know that you know people enjoy his music as a as an as entertainment but there's so much more to it. And in today's world of DAWs and, you know, exactly. we, we're not limited to tape. So you can pull 
Um, and, I, you know, I'm sure you can talk way more than I can intelligently about this, but you can pull vocals, you can do re remixes, you can change the style, and it's the same song. And you could have, you know, 100 tracks based off one song. Exactly, exactly. And you that's know. a good example. We've got a lot of Australian uh, singers, songwriters, and composers. Actually, I posted some stuff on our Facebook group today for Ignite Your Music Career, um, having great successes. But that's the key to this. Um, mm. It's not based on one genre so it's not like you have to be john williams it's not like you had to be this right. kind of thing like there's cross genres i'm actually writing dark country music right now for canada's major network they've got 78 channels it's it's uh it's country music with metal and i'm a hair band guy from the guy from the 80s with i did know, i did sorry to interrupt but i did see your um was it a kramer you were playing yeah Eddie, Eddie van, van Hill. No, yeah no. yeah i actually had a, a guitar owned by or Eddie van Hill played one that was owned by johnny cash but wow um, but yeah, so it's not, so you can be a jazz person. You can be, I've got, we've got a flute player mm. uh, who's just, does this real, she's an American, but she lives in Newfoundland, actually my home uh, province. She does indigenous flutes, all kinds of flutes and all, you know, sounds and all that kind of stuff. You could be a banjo player. You could play, you could write hip hop country. You could, that's the thing. And, and being in this business for the last 12 years or so, they love cross-genre stuff, right? Uh -huh. And Pliny is a good example of that. So I write for uh, the Madison Square Garden. I work for the New York Knicks basketball team. I work for Premier League. I work for the NHL, uh, NBA, uh, and a lot with the NFL lately. Um, but then I get to show you how to do that. Like, mm. I can, if I can do that from a province that has 150,000 people um, that's cut off from the rest of Canada except for a bridge and a boat, um, you know, I think anybody can do it. And I, I love going to LA. I love going to places like that. Obviously I'm not doing that now. Uh, right. but it doesn't matter. 99% of my clients that I work with, uh, they could be music libraries or supervisors or, or publishers of any, any sort. I never meet them. I mean, we have a, an online kind of chat sometimes, sure. but, but basically the whole program shows that anybody can do anything. I, I actually show people how to, who write songs like songwriters and I'm not really a songwriter. I've written a bunch, but how to actually have your music license, your song license before you even finish the lyrics. You know, mm. you get 30 seconds in, that thing is worth something automatically as long as it's recorded decently. So you think about ESPN, you think about all these shows. So, so the guitar player person, yeah, for sure. Famous metal guy, that stuff. Relatively. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff kills it in sports shows, you know, hockey mm -hmm. highlight reels or hip hop does it for the basketball stuff. Sometimes, you know, there's always a spot for everything. I mean, I've written uh -huh. some, I've written some goofy stuff um, that is still, you know, paying me for the last 12 years and will pay me for the rest of my life. Um, it could be country stuff, it could, you know, silly stuff, kids stuff. I like writing in lots of genres. And uh, but yeah, everybody fits in. You know, beat makers. We've got beat makers, uh, composers. We've got um, people who play uh, steel drums. We've got, you know. Uh, full blown orchestral film people uh we've got ukulele singer songwriters lots of those out there today it doesn't matter what the only focus is is not to have the blinders on your career it's not like the old days in the 70s you know you're not led zeppelin nobody's looking after you all the time anymore right today music is about sharing ideas and sharing uh music with each other and sharing stuff and and quite honestly with ignite i could not have continued to, to have my career with my own studio if I had taken the time to keep answering these questions and zoom calls on a daily basis, I mean, there's literally thousands of them coming in. Mm. And, and so I thought, let's just make it accessible and cheap. Like it's six bucks USD a month. 
you get like you probably get an hour and a half of free lessons for six dollars and and four hundred dollars worth of samples every month and tools. Yeah. And it's just it's just easier that way. I can help people that way a lot more. To me, it's that's that's what music education is about, right? So, absolutely, that's killer. Um, so yeah, let, let's uh, dig into your past a little bit, if you don't mind. What what got you into music in the first place? Well, I was always as a kid. My mom was big into music, and I was big in. She was big into classical music when she'd go to the grocery store and they'd give her free records if she spent mm. if she spent a hundred bucks, I think. But I've always was in. I was intrigued by Elvis. I was intrigued by the Bay City Rollers. I was intrigued by. Uh, then Kiss, who I finally saw last year, August. Hmm. In, I was about eight feet away from Gene Simmons' crotch. That was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> in Montreal, my wife and I went up for our, our anniversary, 25th anniversary. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I was just always intrigued. So, you know, of course, being Canadian, you'd always have hockey sticks floating around the house. And uh, so I just put on these concerts every day when I was six, seven years old, uh, you know, lip sync with that stuff and, and just being the biggest rock star in the world. Um, but then when I was about 13, 14, I, I picked up a guitar and started playing, joined with a bunch of your guys, you know, your friends, getting a band together, started playing again. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, then I decided I should go to music school. I think my drummer went to music school. Um, and I thought, you know, I'm not probably going to be, a, a, I'm not going to be the next Quiet Riot, maybe, or Rat, who I wanted to be like, or Dawkin. Or... So I went to music school and I got a, a degree in classical guitar, even though it was blues kind of rocker and then I um I got a minor I was, I was infatuated with music history which I still am um I got a degree in musicology with a uh, I, my, my final thesis was on 19th or 20 early 20th century Russian music which is funny okay so I, I love that whole era 1919 the, the revolution and that sort of thing then I quit music for a year I said, nope, I don't want to do this. I've been inside four walls of a practice room seven hours a day for the last, you know, eight, nine years. Mm. So I quit. And I just wanted to learn how to pay bills and I wanted to do this stuff. So I got a job, um, got married, I got three stepkids. One's, one's a lawyer, one's a, a researcher. She was a, she's actually teaches at the same college I do now. She's got a PhD mm. and uh, my other child graduated from the same college I teach at as a pastry chef. And I just wanted nice. to kind of get away for a while. So I took a year off and I just, I was kept writing and stuff like that. And then I uh, slowly kept getting back into it, kind of adjusting to life. And then I, uh, I had some successes in business and learned a lot about business that wasn't anything to do with music business that actually helped me with contracts and all that later on. Mm. And uh, we sold that business. And then one day my wife, who was, works at the college as well, uh, she was doing some research because they were implementing a new video game, uh, art and design uh, program and in the back of my mind this was around 2007 I was thinking you know I'd really like to get into video game music it's kind of cool area not too much you know I had a small studio so she came home one day she said yeah I just got your gig doing video game music and I said what do you mean <laughs> I said well she said well you got you got you know the weekend to think about it but you're gonna do it and I said well I don't know how to do that and she said well let's figure it out so I said, how'd you do that? And she said, well, they wanted 19, or early 20th century Russian music, and you're the only person I know who can write it. And I was like, okay, that's weird. Okay, well, what goes around comes around. So I did that game, and then I ended up doing 25 games with that company. Uh, now I'm up to 45 games with various companies. And then, mm. but, I, but I realized after 2008 that I don't, again, this is what Ignite's about, don't put all your eggs in one basket, because 
uh, video game technology changes with regards to you know the consoles and all this stuff. And I'm not sure of if course. you're a gamer and yep. stuff, but and then budgets are going to be cut and and like they cut all the audio people out, right? Because they're these big games and they didn't want to keep updating studios, so they were outsourcing a lot of work. But after 2008, I realized that hey, listen, I want to have more than one revenue stream, so I got into the TV stuff. And my wife went away on a business trip. I sent out 125 emails on Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon. I grabbed the pizza. I delivered some chicken wings. I said, I'm going to do this right now. And the first person that got back to me was a person in a very famous 80s rock band who had two music libraries. And I knew nothing about it at that point. And he said, hey, Craig, no, I sold those libraries. But here's a list of all these people that you should contact. Wow. So the other 124 emails I sent out, I bet you 80% of them got back to me. And in two weeks, my music was all over the place. And uh, so I thought, hey, I'm onto something here, right? This is pretty cool. And mm. what happens in the music business today is that the more you build your creds up for your IMDb account or what you do in the world of music, I, my whole thing was it's almost like owning a shoe store. So you've got three shoe stores downtown. The other two have been in business for 30 years. They have customer service policies that are well-established. There's this well-established. You're the new kid in town. You're putting out, 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 right? Advertising this, that, much like you'd put your music out. But I want to get to the point where I did that for a while. Then people would come and want my product. And that happened very quickly after I started building up my creds and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So really, to be honest with you, I couldn't even write the amount of music that I'm asked to write on a, on a weekly basis. Like I, I just, I pick and choose right now. And that's what Ignite's about too. But so then I just start getting into TV music and I start getting film opportunities. And I was a judge at the Gang World Video Game Music Awards, one of only 18 people, they asked me. Um, Juno Awards in Canada, which is the Grammys pretty much mm -hmm. in the States. Yep. Um, so all these opportunities happens, happen and um, it just, everything starts to snowball. And that's what business is about, right? So if you're, a, if you're a mechanic and all you do is fix rear view mirrors and I bring my car in because there's something wrong with the chassis, and you go, hey, uh, just do mirrors. That's not that doesn't really work too well for your business model. So, right. So the the business side of it's important, and I really stress that with all our our people that are part of our program and my classes I teach at the school at the college and and that sort of thing. So anyway, from there it just kind of took off. I've just been lucky enough to have, you know, I, I think I've built up enough credibility uh, as a teacher, as an educator, a guest speaker, um, and composer, um, mm -hmm. hopefully that people now just kind of come to me. And I, I think that's a great place to be, right? Absolutely. So um, just getting back to how you compose, um, does does your do, do your opportunities come in that here's a project, could you write such and such for this? Or um, I, I guess what percentage is just writing today you want to do a country song and you just write a country song and then you write, write around that motif and then you upload it to the um the library and then it goes on its way and it's not for anything specific like what's the balance there right well it's actually became a lot it's become a lot more uh pointed writing is what i call it now so i've got so many connections with regards to music libraries and networks that they send me what's called briefs every week right so the brief mm -hmm. outlines what they're looking for how many cues and some of them pay, you know, five or six thousand dollars a week or every week and a half to do these. So they might say, "I want yep. ten, ten, one or two minute cues for, you know, dark country or pop or hip hop or whatever it might be." And you know, we're going to pay a, you know, six grand to do that, and then you'll get your royalties on the back end too. Um, it's, it's a lot more of that now. So today I was working on some crime music for um, 
a publisher in uh, LA. It's it's I'd like to sit down. Actually, I've have been trying to do it more lately, uh, and sit down and just kind of write not something that I want to write, but something I can then just take and put it out to forty or fifty different libraries, right? Non exclusive mm-hmm. non exclusive libraries, but but now, and I've got a few, I've got probably maybe six or eight exclusive publishers that will just send me briefs every week. Um, so it's probably fifty fifty right now. I I like sitting down and figuring out what I want to write. Mm. Um, that's kind of my thing, and and now I'm into a lot more sound design with my music, which I really love. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's. I was just I pulled up my book yesterday, and actually had a couple hours off from school and stuff that I could actually kind of figure out where I want to write. But now it's nice to be able to pick where you where you write, you know, instead of you know just pushing stuff out all the time. Right. Absolutely. So obviously the so the briefs, uh, you know, you you get a description of what they're looking for. Um, I, I I'm assuming film scoring is different. Do you get do you get the uh, actual um, footage, obviously, probably without dialogue, but you're getting um, some visual reference that you can kind of track as it goes along and, and do your, uh, you know, your, your music or sound design in, in some cases, I would imagine. Like, how, 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 do the, how does that process work? The film is a bit different because I will not even touch a film, and most composers won't, or sound designers, until it's locked. That's what they call a locked picture. So the film, you know, it could be a seven-minute film or it could be a two-hour film. Uh, you don't want to see it until the final version is done. Uh-huh. And, and it's always a painful process and scary process. It doesn't, I mean, I think Junkie XL will tell you that. I think uh, uh, John Williams will tell you that because now you're at the end of someone else's dream, uh-huh. right? So all the people that did the clothes and the makeup and all that stuff and the set designs and all that. So we're the last people to get it. Um, but I won't touch it unless it's locked because I've had a few opportunities to work with people who just, you know, they, they, Think about a director or or a team in a film world is that you know it's like trying to let go of their baby, right? It's hard. So once it's locked, uh, what I'll do is sometimes I'll I'll sit with the director online or in a place, you know, obviously physical place, and I'll spot it with them, or they might have certain suggestions. But yeah, I, I that then you're that's completely different than library music because when you write library music, you're writing to an emotion maybe, or to a brief, or to a tempo, or to a key. But when you're what when you're writing to a film score or a film, you're actually writing to picture. So yep. you're looking at the visuals, and all pictures are, are actually you know uh, videos, films are actually edited rhythmically. There's a certain rhythm. Each mm-hmm. editor's got a different rhythm, right? So, sure. so, re- so the reason you want to have a lock because as soon as that time code is in there, it's emblazoned in. You don't want to start writing your cues and then go back, and all of a sudden they want to unlock it and add a piece or remove a piece because the timing goes off, obviously, but. But it's a different ball game. I just did, I think, one of my favorite ones I've done just recently this summer. It's only a short film, too. It's only eight or ten minutes long, but the concept is beautiful. It's actually in a a few uh, festivals right now. I just like the concept of it. I've done some films where they're two hours long, and they're just, you could tell there's, you know, certain things that weren't working. Continuity is a big part of that, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's really a different skill set, and, and games again are different again, right? Because a lot of games with with the engine being the brain, there's the uh, and the engines are way better now than they were. But I first started doing games in 2007. But you know, there's a lot of looping aspects. There's a lot of different things that you you have to think about, mm-hmm. uh, which which is intriguing to me. I've got 25 video game albums out on Unity, I think it is right now, in the Unreal Engine, and um, yeah, it's a, that's another side of it. It's just a different world, right? Because it's it's actually 
it's it's not linear music. Like you watch a film or a TV show from start to finish, every time you watch it, it's the same, right? The music's going to be the same. If the action's going to be the same, a video game is non-linear because if you walk into this room, the music changes. The next time you play that game, you walk into the different room, the music changes. Uh, so that's that's the, kind of the interesting concept of video games to me, anyway. Mm. It's, uh, it's it's almost like three different mindsets when you think about it. And I love all three. For sure. So is there is there any? I don't know if this is. Uh, I, I I I just have visions of of when I used to play video games as a as a teenager. You know, you you could hear the 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 transitions, like the music would fade out, then fade in. Is it? I I would assume this day and age, it's a lot more intelligent, and things don't just fade in and out. They have some kind of algorithm that changes the music slightly. Like, oh, exactly. Exactly. Depending on the engine itself. Uh, I mean, they do all kinds of things like vertical remixing of things. And yeah, it all depends on the, the character. Uh, mm-hmm. the, and sometimes the character you pick, right? Because the characters have their own attributes and For that sure. sort of thing. Um, and where they go. Um, sometimes it changes, you know, how many times they've redone that scene because they couldn't get through it. Yeah. Uh, there's little, little hints and little, you know, things in there. Uh, but the, yeah, it's, it's very, very, you know, intuitive right now um and the cool thing about games is that you know when i was working on a lot of games i'd be working on four or five at a time sometimes some for facebook some for uh you know different platforms but um you can be working in different genres all the time puzzle games right mm-hmm. mystery games and this and that and like a game like the room i'm not sure if you ever heard of the game the room i think uh, so that's my wife loves that game it's she plays on her ipad that's a game that i i really have never had a chance to work on a game like that i, I think that would be a great one i've worked on lots of children's games triple uh, a title triple game uh, children's games um but it's always interesting because what what gets you first as a composer for me anyway is that first meeting you have or the first email you get with all the, the artwork and you get the game dev you know map and and mm. and all all the assets you're going to figure out how, what, how to do but the artwork really intrigues me so every style is a little bit different but yeah the music wise music wise it's it's really it's it's interesting to, to write for because you're almost looking at all options whereas mm-hmm. if you're looking at a fil- film or a tv show it's like you know okay i'm gonna start here i'm gonna end here right you know hundred thousand people are going to watch this on netflix or a hundred million people are watching on netflix it's always going to be the same right that's that's fantastic so other than guitar what what what's your setup are you um like what do you what do you primarily write with or does that depend on genre uh right with you mean like a daw type of thing or well, both, both instruments and yeah what's your daw setup i use i use logic pro i've used that uh since day one 2007 mm-hmm. or so um which is really i i find it really intuitive uh it's really good for me one of the things about being a composer or being a songwriter or whoever you know you whatever you do is once you get your little studio set up and this is one of the things that's really cool that we're going to talk about at ignite in the coming weeks you can do this for like 300 bucks right there's kids out there writing video game scores and selling them for they've got a little laptop and they're good to go right interface and a mic and some vsts and garage band and, and, for sure and they're good to go right but I use I use Logic. I've got a complete rack, '80s rack stuff over here, like some original stuff from the '80s, which is great. And I've got about 14 or 15 guitars that you probably see on the wall. Uh, but I use a lot of stuff inside the box. I use a lot of heavyosity stuff. Uh, uh, just pick I I just pick up all kinds of different things that I want to. You know, I use um, East West stuff for orchestral things. Uh, pretty much run of the mill things. You know, that heavyosity is a good one for me because I if I want to write action music. Um, Morphestra, 
you can say say it. It's, I've been using that today. I usually pick them up, and then here's a little tip: if you're gonna want to get some VSTs and stuff like that, Black Friday is the best time to get them mm. because the prices drop from seven thousand dollars for hard drive for one to maybe one hundred and fifty dollars or two hundred dollars, or a sample pack or a VST that might cost you know three hundred ninety nine dollars might be ninety nine dollars. Yep. Come Black Friday, um, so it's really good to do that. Um, but yeah, I just use an array of different things. I mean, I've had so many, I've had gigs where they've said we need, you know, six or eight pieces of Celtic music. And I'm like, well, I don't know how to play bagpipes. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do that. You know, they said, okay, we'll just buy a VST and figure it out. And that was for a major, major, major network. And I did. And, and you know, trying to write bagpipe music at 3 a.m. was kind of a pain in the ass. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, uh, but anyway, yes, yeah, so that's what you do. So every time I get a gig, that you know they might pay up front for or something like that you know mm. if they want something different i'll go out and pick something up and write it off on your studio anyway yep but yeah i'm, I'm always on the lookout for new things i picked up uh reformer pro a couple weeks ago it's just kind of neat being a teacher a, a college teacher because i can get, get a college get, the, i get a university yep. or get a dis discount mm -hmm. and the reason i did that is because one of the ladies who um paula fairfield who was the sound designer for game of thrones okay she lives in la she's she was she was born and raised three hours from here. Saw an ad one day that she said she she used it on, on different projects, and I thought, hey, that's pretty cool. And I picked that up, so I'm using that to kind of take my music and re kind of purpose it to different things. Because mm. most most people think they write one piece of music and that's it. Well, I the last piece of music I wrote, I got 389 cues out of it. Wow. So that's 389 registrations with your PRO, ASCAP, BMI, CELCAN, and 389 places or, or queues that you can send to 40 different libraries in my case right now. That increases your odds dramatically. Sure. And that's how the Ignite program works. It's like, okay, people are going to wake everybody up and go, just because you wrote this beautiful song, that's not it. There's probably 10 queues within that beautiful song. Instrumental versions, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, stings, uh, all these different things. Use them to your advantage. We're going to show you how to make some money with this. That, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's almost like uh, if if you're one of those people that can't let uh, you know something die because oh, what if I do this? What if I mix? You know, add this reverb? What if I put this little motif? It's almost yeah. Keep doing that and save it as a as another version, and then yep. you're good to go. And then you get the and then you get the other people who will. And then we just did a lesson on this uh, a few weeks ago called when to let go of your music. Mm -hmm. I've had students who said they'd tweak a bass drum for six months. And I'd, I'd say in a classroom, I'd say, well, you know what? The time you've been tweaking that bass drum, which nobody's going to hear on a TV set because the speakers are this big. Yep. Uh, I've got 40 or 50 new placements in TV shows. So you got to rethink your strategy here. You got to rethink, you know, when to let go, especially with today's technology. A lot of the stuff sounds good right out of the box, right? Mm -hmm. Right in the box, I guess. But like the virtual instruments, the orchestral stuff, they're all panned already they're all set up don't tweak a bass drum for six months that's not a good idea no um and the other thing i've seen on your instagram account is you know going out with a, a digital recorder and recording you know storms is i assume that's part of sound design yeah well, i use it in my music too mm. um i've done some pretty cool things uh lately i mean one day i've i starved my cat my i had my last siamese cat not my new one uh, I starved him for a day and just kind of walked around the house and, and recorded him being pissed off about stuff. And uh, <laughs> I don't want to say that, but, and it was cool. And people started buying those and I, I put those on different libraries, yeah. like uh, Pond, Pond Fives of the World, Audio Sparks of the World, just for fun. 
And uh, yeah, like uh, I did a storm a little while ago. We had a hurricane that came up here, which became a dud actually. But mm. uh, and then we had a nice storm in the winter, so I recorded it inside a metal barbecue. That was pretty cool. I got some really good samples the other day out of that. I was mixing them for kind of like hail on a tin roof. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the other thing you can do with that stuff, if you use organic sounds or your own sounds, um, you can kind of tweak them to kind of add rhythms to them and that sort of thing. A lot of hip hop artists are doing that all the time. Sure. Um, and dark country stuff, you mean know, you leave the warts in that kind of stuff mm. and add warts sometimes. But yeah, it's fun. It's fun to do. Like I, last year I sat in my office in August, I think it was August before last. And it's a beautiful day. I was getting ready for school to start and the, it was a one-way street. Then I recorded it, you know, a few trucks going down, students going down the road. And that sold, like, tons of tons of stuff. Like, just like a six-minute clip. Wow. So that's another revenue stream, right? So if you get funny, and my wife came up with the idea yesterday because I don't eat breakfast. She said, why don't you start uh, recording your your stomach by around noon? <laughs> and I thought, that might not be a bad idea, actually. But, yeah, yeah. I record everything. I, I've got I've got everything. I'll I'll... It's just one of those things where if you got the ability to do it, I did a, it was a big project downtown to restore the birthplace of Canada, where, the, where Canada was signed as a country here in, in my hometown here and my, where I live. And this big construction thing is a 30 or $50 million project. So I sat down there last summer and just recorded all the inst- construction that was going on inside the tarps and all that. Mm. So just, yeah. That's so. excellent. So one thing I wanted to touch on is, you know, you mentioned how all the VSTs are panned properly and everything. I've heard a lot of, of, of people talk about mastering. Um, and I, I get to the point where, you know, there's definitely something to be said for doing stuff to the final mix, but I, I'm when I'm doing, when I'm doing my own music, it's like, well, I don't really see what else needs to be done other than knocking off a couple of really high, you know, spots there that are going to distort. But if it sounds good to me, what is mastering going to do? And this, I mean, as an uneducated question. I agree 100%. I have never had any of my music that's on TV, 1,000 uh, different placements, none of my music that's been in film, and I might get my butt kicked for this, but because I know there's traditionalists out there. Mm. Uh, I What I consider mastering, and, and I'm not, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, back in the day of analog and, you know, Zeppelin and all that, but if it's good to your ears and you're good monitors, um, uh, it's good enough. I mean, some of the stuff that I thought was probably my worst music has got picked up the most. Mm. You know, consider that, right? Depending on what it's needed for, right? The key to getting your music picked up is not the mastering. It's the titling. It's the metadata. It's how much information and sales pitch you embed in that file, how much written metadata you get. We get into all this stuff in the Ignite program. It's your sales pitch to go, when a music supervisor or a music library has it, someone logs in and says, I need a great dramatic pulsing piece you're the person with the best metadata so your piece is going to come up on top like an algorithmic search mm-hmm. or it's going to come up second or third if the music is not good enough it's not going to be there in the first place but no i what i consider mastering is to me and this is just the television film and, and game world that i'm in and advertising and all that if it sounds good coming out of your speakers, you've got your right plugins in, your EQ, you're right. Chop off some of those low frequencies for certain things, right? Like games are different than TV, which is different than film. Sure. You go to a film, you go to a film, you know, they've got surround sound or the big subs, you got everything. TV speakers are small, like I said. Uh, if it sounds good, it sounds good. And a lot of people beat themselves up over that. And they think they've got to have this mastering suite of this and mastering suite of that and all these plug-in, 
no, I never do it. I've got a, I've got a template that I use for every cue that I write pretty much. Um, it's, it's got the EQ in there that I want to have. It's not the most expensive EQ in the world. I'll tell you that. Mm. It's something that I knew works because why would I want to change something up that's not working, right? Uh, but no. I mean, you go over it and make sure you look at your, your EQs and your frequencies and stuff like that. But to actually beat yourself up over it, no. The better thing to do is get your music out. And there's an old saying, there's a lot of people out there with really good music sitting on their laptops or sitting on their hard drives. That's called gold on a hard drive. And you can't buy anything with it or you can't make any money off it if it's sitting right there. So just get it out. That's the thing. Absolutely. That's the tip. Just get it out there. And there's a really good Patreon video, which we use in one of our lessons. Jack Conte from Patreon says, or talks about, it's called the power to publish. And if any of your listeners out there feel like they're being you know, held back or restricted from letting their music out, they should definitely look that video up. It's something I look at every three months or so. Mm. If I get if I get in a rut, I always every class I teach at the college, I make sure they see it. And it really is an encompassing video about it's not about being perfect, it's about getting stuff out. That's you know, that's the important thing. You can be a director and get three films out in your career, or you could be some other director who is gonna make a stinky one every now and then that got forty eight out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that's what's important. Not everything you write is going to be great. Some days I can't even write a grocery list, you know. <laughs> um, but but this whole holding back. So if you get a chance to look at that video, it's, it's called The Power to Publish. I, I may have seen it already, but I'll definitely go check it out. Again, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes for everyone to see as well. Cool. Um, and I, I like to do a little thing called the, uh, the non-quickfire question round. Okay. What significant negative experience have you overcome and what did that teach you? Negative experience. Okay. Um, but I think maybe about, I'm trying to remember how many years ago it was, my wife got ill. Mm. Um, uh, and we were, it was for about three to four years and it was pretty much a mind changer because before that I thought I was in the mode of, hey, I should have uh, you know investments. I should do this and save for the future and all this kind of stuff. And I realized you could have all the money in the world, which I don't, but which I thought back then with having little kids or smaller kids, uh, I was so focused on money and being old mm. and having money that uh, I realized it's not much fun to be around if you have nothing, nobody to share it with. Absolutely. Um, so having to come home and tell a little girl that her mom's not coming home from the hospital for a while wasn't great. Mm. And, and that's why now, and now we're in this pandemic, which is, you know, that's a crusher, right? Um, it just made me realize that you got to live a little bit more for the moment. Um, don't be planning out too far ahead. It's awesome to plan out for your business and have goals. I, I teach that all the time. Have goals, have short-term, long-term, medium-term goals that you can accomplish, especially short-terms. Those are good. They'll keep you going. Uh, but the money is not the be-all, end-all of everything, to be honest with you. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's great to have. And I, always say, I have this saying I say to my students because I teach students from all over the world because they're Berkeley College of Music um, Kind of students, or they come to our college first, but it's two problems with musicians. One that one, a musician has way too much money; they can get themselves in trouble pretty much, right? We we all know all those stories. Mm-hmm. And and the second one is musicians that don't have enough money, because then the mental health issues start cropping up, and you know, self doubt and, and things like that. For sure. uh, which is one of the things I really try to teach with my students: you know, being introspective, being smart about business, and that sort of stuff. Mm. But that would probably be the one that changed me forever, and. Um, it doesn't, I luckily, I don't think about it too much anymore. Some days I do during this pandemic, it hit me a lot because she can't go out. Mm. 
uh, even though she's been in remission for many years now. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think musicians sometimes can think too much that way in the future. And you can, ha you can have $10 million in the bank and be, you know, 50 years old or 40 years old, but you might hit, get hit by a bus when you're 41. I mean, that's, that's not a good thing. Totally so true. I hope, I hope that makes sense. Oh, that's you know. yeah, totally. And thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. Cause that's, that's, you know, that's what it's all about really. Um, so the next question is what major positive experience has given you the encouragement to follow this as a journey? I've had, you know what? I've been blessed to have a lot and, um, I've had a lot, I feel like, cause I made a lot of those opportunities happen myself in some, in some odd way, but there's been lots. And, and I think as musicians, we all have our, our especially online today, like some of my uh, friends and colleagues, you know, are, are famous producers for, you know, platinum album singers and, and drummers and Grammy award winners and all that. And they're still level and down to earth people, which is mm -hmm. great. But I think there was one experience that really hit home to me about me as a teacher and me as a composer and now me as you know, the ignite thing. And that was one day I got up, this is funny. I had a very famous, a pretty famous drummer who speaks to my class via uh, zoom or Skype every semester, my first years. And, uh, he, he did a Q&A for an hour or so, and uh, he's a great guy and a, a true friend, and we talk a lot, and, and we help each other out, and he said that's the way the business is today. And then the next morning, I got up to go to my class, and I just got up, and I, was, I think I was getting before I got in the shower, and I noticed that this guy had put up, this person had put up some clips from the talk that he did the day before, and the first person to share it was Hans Zimmer, and I was like, wow. okay, Hans Zimmer is talking about me and my school. That's, that's fantastic. weird. Does Hans Zimmer even know where Prince Edward Island is? Hopefully he does. <laughs> anyway, so there's things like that that keep you going. But it's a lot of it is the kids that I teach. It's not all kids. They're, I mean, they're college students. But And they ignite people. And But, yeah, just just kind of the opportunities you get if you actually work really hard. Mm -hmm. some, days, some days you have to pinch yourself, you know, and I'm no, I'm no famous Hans Zimmer or John, or John Williams. I'm a guy that sits in a place that's got 150,000 people a town that's got about 40,000 people and have my music on all these TV shows, you know, and films and games and stuff. But, and that's, that's, that's grounding. I mean, I don't think I'm something I'm not, but that's kind of neat. The people you meet along the way are the ones that help each other out a lot. And, and that's, mm -hmm. that's kind of what I, that's what I want to cultivate with my students and my ignite people as well. So. Yeah, absolutely. Something I uh, talk about on the podcast all the time is, you know, uh, a rising tide lifts all ships. So, mm. Absolutely. Exactly. So. And the music business has changed. It used to be, I call it the crabs in the bucket syndrome. And I remember even mm -hmm. being here. It's, it's like a whole bunch of crabs in the bucket. They could be guitar players, singers, songwriters, whatever it might be. They're in this bucket and they're all stepping on each other's head trying to get out. That's not the way the music business works today. Now everybody helps each other. The real musicians, real composers, and real songwriters, and real professionals help each other out. I still get help every week from people. people I help people every week. Uh, that's just the way it is. So the crabs in the barrel mentality is gone. And if you still have that mentality, you're not going anywhere in this business. Right. right. Or, or in other words, don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know I could say that word. But. Oh yeah. Yeah. You can, I don't have any, uh, any bleeps in my podcast. So. Okay, good. So don't be a dick. That's take it from Craig. Don't be a dick. There you go. Uh, final question is what does music mean to you? Music means everything to me. And it, as a kid, it was an escape. I grew up in a kind of a bit of a tough uh, situation, I think. And uh, it's at times tough. Uh, it was really an escape mechanism for me. 
um, it's funny. I was supposed to be some famous baseball player, apparently. So I was, that was, I was groomed to be, and actually got pretty far in my career college-wise, almost with a big college university. And I realized that music was really more of a calling for me. And plus, I was a shitty hitter. I could pitch really well, but I was a shitty hitter. But uh, <laughs> it was fast. But um, but yeah, it just means it means a lot of escapism in the early days of my life. Um, today, it's um, it's something that and it's grown so much. I mean, you can get music every there's music everywhere now, right? Like mm. the, the whole world's a content bubble full of music. You know, YouTube, all all the stuff that's over there. Um, but it's something that to me, there's no limits to it now where there used to be limits, you know, and I was going to the studio in 1996, I got some kind of award to go in and, and do some Latin music. You know, you're working on two inch tape that costs $250 a reel, there's $150 an hour to the studio. Now with DAWs and all the VSTs, music is infinite now. And and my yeah. students and my colleagues have turned me on to newer music like Neo Soul. I want to do a Neo Soul album. I, I heard Neo Soul and I hated it at first and I went, okay, no, there's something to this. Really, what to me, Neo Soul is like smooth jazz from the 80s, but now they've relabeled and added some cool hip hop beats and, and stuff to it. And I'm thinking, I want to get in on that. That sounds really cool. Mm. It's got a different different vibe. But music is it's it's infinite and it's going to change. And I say to my students and I say to my night people and I say to my friends and colleagues, imagine being a musician right now. So we're in the middle of a pandemic. Hopefully we're at the tail end of it. I don't think we are, unfortunately you have the ability to shape music for the next 10 years, right? Nobody ever says, "What?" Well, remember listening to music in the 65s to the 75s? No. Or 85s to the 95s? They say 60s. 60s was all kinds of stuff about racist stuff, political stuff, war. 70s was similar with the war. You know, drug use in the 70s. 80s was a decadent age. I said, you guys have the power to change music. Which direction do you think it's going to go? It's going to go softer in the 2020s? Is it going to go more punkish because people are really upset and pissed off that mm-hmm. they've been stuck in their houses for a long time? Is it going to get more loving and caring because artists now today are giving their time away for free online and sticking a stupid little tip jar out there which sucks for them because they can't play live, right? Just to earn money. Mm-hmm. You know, they're giving their talent away. So is, is music going to get loving? You know, is it going to get really ballistic because of the, you know, political situations that are happening? Uh so that's incredible. That's an incredible amount of power to have to shape an era. Nobody's going to say, have you listened to music from 2022 to you know 2032? They're going to say the 20s. And the 20s have started off with a bang, right? Obviously. <laughs> uh, in the wrong way. You know, many wrong ways. Oh, yeah. Uh, but it's just infinite. And I think the possibilities are infinite. Like I said, you know, having a 13-year-old successful singer-songwriter from Washington State uh, be member ignite and digging into these lessons. It's like Feist. Feist knew everything about the music business before she was nine, ten years old. She read so many music books. You know, she's a pretty popular person, pretty successful person. She had the business acumen down, right? But I think the just the how infinite it really is. Like you can, you know, you can't see any here, but I've got a crazy machine that a friend of mine built during the pandemic. He he builds stock cars and. Of course, he couldn't do that in race cars in, in the pandemic, so he built me what's called, I call it a pandemic machine, but it's like an apprehension machine that, that a lot of people use for horror movies in L.A., and it's crazy. Um, but it's infinite. You can add so much to music, and, and nobody's set in their ways. You can cross-genre everything today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's so, I don't know. It's it, You're not tied to, gen- to genres anymore. You know, You can really, you can be yourself as a musician today. And I, I think that's that's really important. No record companies are telling you what to do, you know. Mm. 
So that's fantastic. I, I really appreciate you sharing all that. So where can people find out uh, about Ignite, about you, get in touch? Cool. Yeah. So if you want to check out Ignite, just go to www.terrace, T as in Tom, A R I S dash or hyphen studios.com. And if you want to find out about me, you can see where my music's uh, being used or has been used. You can read about me, and then you can see the Ignite programs right there on the page as well. If anybody's interested or anybody, anybody has any questions, please feel free to contact me you know, by email, craig at terrace-studios.com. Uh, one of the things we do today is, as uh, musicians is, is help other people out. You, know, we're, you can only carry a torch or, or move a torch so, so far before you have to hand it off to people, and I'm, I'm quite... At my age now, I'm not that old, but you're never going to turn someone away that needs help. Mm. Because a successful, a successful musician is a good thing to have in the society today. Because there's a totally. lot of people that are suffering, right? Absolutely. So yeah, so go check that out. You can see any links or my Instagram stuff is there, Twitter, anything like that. I'd love to hear any comments or feedback or you know, listen to your tracks. I do a lot of that too. Um, but yeah, it's just check me out www.terrace-studios.com. Awesome. And I'll have all those links in the show notes as well. So Cool. Um, and at, yeah, at the end, I like to play a song from the person I interview. So any uh, music or a song that you'd like to play? Yeah, I think there's a tune that I wrote. And um, I don't write a lot of vocal music. When I do, I kind of mash the vocals up a little bit. Mm. This is a song called Room to Breathe. Um and it really, it's actually virtual voices, and they're Welch voices. And to me, it's probably one of the neater things that I wrote, just because it's it's different. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty dramatic, and there's little words in there that I actually was able to manipulate that are not real words, but I kind of turned them into real words. And your listeners can probably try to figure out what they are. There's three or four different words in there. And it's been used in trailers. It's been used in uh, it's just used in the last film I did. It's been used in a few films, actually, uh, for end credits. And it's just something kind of neat. It's, to me, it's one of those pieces that I don't, never thought ever got the most amount of uh, likes or uses. But maybe it's something because I was too close to it. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, but it has been used in a bunch of trailers and films and, and stuff like that. So we'll, we'll try that. And uh, I'd love to hear feedback on that. Maybe you guys can tell me, hey. Why is this not getting used more? <laughs> right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate taking, really appreciate you taking the time today and, uh, you know, continued success and uh, hopefully we can keep in touch. All right, for sure. Thanks for having me, man. It was great to talk to you and uh, I'm looking forward to listening to more of your great podcasts. All really, right. really cool. Awesome. Thank you All so right. much. All right. Take care. All right. You too. Thanks as always for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I'd really be grateful if you could support the podcast by leaving a review on iTunes, checking out the store, or just telling your friends about the show. Keep pushing the needle and be excellent to each other. This is Craig Dodge with Room to Breathe.